Welcome to this broadcast of Truth For Today, sponsored by Sun City West Christian Church. I'm your host, Kai Repsholt. Today we'll be looking into the last part of the book of Acts, which I have subtitled The Spreading of the Gospel. This is part 34 of this study. Before we begin, let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself and inspiring the men who wrote the contents of what we call the Bible. We thank you for preserving those words and having them be translated into languages that we use and understand. Uh, And we see your hand in that because you desire for us to know you better. Um, And in knowing you better, we invite the Holy Spirit today to, in revealing the truth, also reveal how to apply that truth in the way we live. Amen. So we're going to start with Acts 28, starting with verse 11. At the end of three months, um, they were wintering in Malta after this terrible storm that shipwrecked them. So at the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship, which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. After we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium. And a day later, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. So they wintered by force or God's providence in the island of Malta for three months until the weather made it safe to to sail the rest of the way to Italy. The ship stopped for three days at the city of Syracuse, which is a major, at that time it was the major city on the island of Sicily. And then they sailed up the east coast of Sicily and crossed the Straits of Messina and stopped in the city of Regium on the southern part of the Italian peninsula for one day. Then they got a favorable wind and they sailed up the west coast of the Italian peninsula to the city of Puteoli, where which is where the Tiber Rivers empties into the sea. So it is the major import-export by seagoing vessels uh, place serving uh, the city of Rome. There they they found some Christians, and they stayed there for seven days. And then they took the land journey up the Tiber River uh, to Rome. And he arrives there, and he is under house arrest, and he can have visitors. And he has a permanent resident with him, a Roman legionary guard who is chained 
to him. Now, this Roman guard is probably a member of the Praetorian Guard because that was the only legion military unit legally allowed to be in Rome. So he's, this, this, this Roman guard is probably a Praetorian. And the rotation of duty was probably six hours, 24 hours a day. So there were at least four gods, guards in rotation who every day spent six hours chained to Paul. And they probably rotated that four uh, just because of the monotony. And they didn't want, they, the Roman military wouldn't want any, any of those guards getting too familiar with Paul. Um, not only that, but duty in the Praetorian Guard was on a rotation similar to how the U.S. Army rotates soldiers today. If you were a good enough legionary, you could be selected to rotate into the Praetorian Guard. Likewise, after you'd been there for a while, to limit corruption, as is always prominent in big cities and big governments, they would rotate the people out and rotate new people into the Praetorian Guard. And I tell you all this because those Praetorian Guards were chained to Paul, and Paul was free to have visitors. So Paul was busy teaching and preaching. And the Praetorian guards were a, not a hostile, but a hostage audience. <laughs> they were chained to Paul and they got exposed to the truth of God. And if you look later on in the next 200 years, the major vector of evangelism in Roman society ended up being the Roman military. All because for two years, Paul is waiting to hear from, the, from Caesar regarding his case. And the whole time, he's busy doing what God has for him to do. And the ripples went out from there. So back to Acts chapter, 17, uh, chapter 28, starting with verse 17. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected... I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, before, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. And they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning the sect, it is known to us that it is, spo it is spoken against everywhere. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God 
and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. So Paul addresses the Jews living in Rome. He tells them why he is in Rome and under arrest. He's in Rome, not because he did anything that warrants a trial, but because of the persecution of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Interestingly, the, the Jewish leaders say that the Judean and Asiatic Jews who had caused the problem for him to be arrested had not come to Rome, nor had they written, even though they knew that Paul was sent to Rome. Paul testifies to these Jews about the Messiah, Jesus, and some believe and some do not, and they argue among themselves. Now Paul is under house arrest for two years, and he puts the time to good use. Um, now, church history, because this is the end of Paul's story in the book of Acts, church history indicates that Paul was acquitted before Caesar at the end of those two years. And he will later and he went on to Spain, as was his plan, and preached the gospel in Spain. And then when he returned later to Rome, he was rearrested, because it was a time during which the Roman government was persecuting Christians, and and later beheaded. That's all church history. There's nothing in the scriptures indicating that. Although in Second Timothy's in the letter the second letter to Timothy, Paul indicates that He's in a mammer, he calls it the Mamertine dungeon. Well, you'll notice in the book of Acts, he's not in a dungeon. He is in his house. Okay. Later he's put in the Mamertine dungeon, that's the second time, and that's the time that he's executed. So that's the end of the book of Acts, but since there's time today, I thought I would review some of the key Doctrinal principles, and I'm going to warn you, as you study the scriptures, it's kind of tricky to denote doctrine from historical accounts that are not doctrinal writings. You have to be careful. Uh, doctrine should really come primarily from the epistles and the prophets and the law. Um, 
as well as as well as Jesus teaching in the Gospels. Uh, but but you, if you're careful, you can still understand some doctrinal points. You just have to be careful with historical because in historical, he's the history recorder is not trying to teach doctrine. He's just trying to tell you what happened. Okay, so there are some things that we can deduce from the book of Acts. The first I'm going to talk to you about is this business about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because there's a lot of confusion about that. And it's because English is a slippery language for those of us who study in English. When you translate, uh, Greek was a very precise language, English not so much. Okay? And so the word filled regarding discussing being filled with the Holy Spirit occurs numerous times in Acts and in the in and in and in the epistles. But there are two Greek words that are both translated filled, and that's what causes the confusion. So the first time it's used is in Acts chapter two, where it says they were suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. Some translations render it that way. Others just say they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That Greek word can be more definitively transferred as filled to bursting. Those fillings occurred more than one time for the same individual. And they only lasted for a short time for a specific reason. In Acts chapter 2, it was for the initial proclamation of the gospel in multiple languages that the people were not trained in. Other places, Paul is suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. On um, it, When he's talking to the governor of one of the islands, uh, uh, not Sicilia, but Cyprus, and... Uh, he's confronting a uh, a person who is anti-God and anti-Jesus, and it says he was suddenly, same word. This is a multiple uh, occurrence. Again, it was for a specific thing to confront this anti-Christian person who was trying to argue the governor out of becoming a Christian. And Paul is empowered to do something that lasts for the time it takes to do it. There are other examples. But there's a second word. The first time it occurs is in chapter 6 of the book of Acts, referring to the deacons. They had to be men filled with the Spirit. Totally different Greek word. And the sense from that is saturated. Not filled to bursting. Saturated. And in the epistles where we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. It's this saturated with the Spirit, not the sudden filling. The sudden filling is done by the Holy Spirit. We don't have any control over that. The be being filled with the Holy Spirit is something we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to be saturated with his presence. And so those are the two Greek words that are two different concepts 
that are both translated into English, filled, which have caused some confusion. And I just, those are true things you need to keep separate. And it's a good idea, if you have the tools available to you, to look at what the Greek words are when you're looking at, when you're confused about what the English words mean. Second, uh, what was the source of power for the rapid growth of the early church? Well, we just talked about being saturated with the Holy Spirit, but there was a practical outworking of that that is found in the last portion of Acts chapter 2. There it says that the church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Again, because English is slippery and the meaning of English words changes over time, uh, I want to explain those things because there are modern-day equivalents. We don't have the living apostles to pay attention to, but we do have the record of what they said and taught in the scriptures. So you could say in the modern day, being devoted to the apostles' teaching is being devoted to the study and meditation of God's word. Fellowship, uh, the word in Greek, goes beyond having a good time together. Think of fellowship as extended family and taking care of one another and looking out for one another in what, what is going on around us. So a good example of fellowship is somebody uh, like a widow uh, who is living alone is being oppressed by one of her daughters and taken advantage of. She's, she's part of the body of Christ. So it is important for other members of the body of Christ to do what is right and protect her and help her has nothing to do with having a good time, <laughs> okay? But it's still one of the is, is an example of what this this fellowship concept is that was written in the scriptures. That in English in America we've lost some of that understanding of what that word means. Breaking of bread is how they referred to taking communion and worship services. In the, in 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 the in Acts, so breaking of bread for us would be participating in worship and in communion. And then the, the last one remains the same: prayer. But the key word here is the word devoted. If you look to the Oxford English Dictionary about devoted, it means to commit all or at least a majority of your resources. So. Let's talk about time, because those activities all take time. And if, you, if it's the majority of your time, and if I'm being generous, I would say that you don't have to devote sleep time to it, so just your waking hours. The majority would be, if you were awake for 16 hours, then eight hours in one minute would be a majority of your time. Should be, if you wanted to see the same level of growth that the early church did to devote eight hours and one minute spread around these various activities. And you know, it could even happen that if you're at work 
in your work activity as the as the as the employer allows you can be engaged in some of this while you're working you could be testifying to the power of in the of the gospel in how you do things and and when asked why you do things the way you do it still allows you to so it it doesn't it doesn't have to be only your off time when you're not working you you can be doing things that are within these four areas of activity even while you're working without detracting from your work the third thing is the resolution of divisive issues within the body of believers that's in acts chapter 15 the issue that they were dealing with was some believers who came from the Jewish faith, who continue to be Jews, um, they thought it was necessary for Gentiles who were not of the Jewish faith to not only become followers of Jesus, but to become adherents to all of the Mosaic law. And they would follow behind Paul and teach this after he had brought Gentiles into the church. And that became a big stumbling block for the extension of the gospel. And powerful arguments between Paul and those who worked with him and these other Christians who were, who were teaching something other than what Paul was teaching. And it was a good example of how to resolve, because if they hadn't resolved this, the church would have been split at the beginning and it would have been a real problem. But they did resolve it and they resolved it the way the Holy Spirit wanted it resolved. The people who were the plain or the principal speakers for the two positions met together with all the elders and apostles in Jerusalem. And they presented their cases. And it, the meeting probably went on for a couple of days. And everybody got a chance to talk, and everybody was listened to. And then Peter and James, the, el the James who was the half-brother of Jesus, who was the elder of Jerusalem, got up and said, okay, we've heard everything, we've prayed about it, and it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit that we not impose the entire law of Moses that we couldn't even keep on the Gentiles. And they limited it to four things and they published it formally by letter and they sent people out to spread the word. Now, uh, that was a right way to resolve something so that the people who are the people of God who are in the church don't factionalize over it and don't become aggressive towards each other and, and hurt one another over it. It wasn't, but because people aren't perfect, there were still some lingering issues, but they handled it the right way. So we should, we should learn from that. If there are issues that come up in your local body over anything, this is the way to resolve it rather than just take sides and become angry with one another. Then there's a difference between faith in God and presumption. 
And I'm going to give you one example. There's only, because um, it would take, there are so many. But there's one good example in the book of Acts. After Paul's arrest in Jerusalem, while he's in protective custody, in the citadel, the, in the barracks, the Roman barracks, so that the Jewish leaders couldn't get at him and kill him, he gets a visit from Jesus in person. That's what the record says. And Jesus says to him, don't be afraid, Paul, just as you have testified in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. So you're going to Rome. He has that promise by special message. I mean, Jesus in person. Okay. But you notice during the two years he was spent in house arrest in Caesarea in Judea, followed on by two years of arrest, house arrest in Rome, he doesn't take that promise and put himself intentionally in, in difficult situations requiring God to act in a supernatural way to make his promise come true. When he discovers there's a plot against his life, does he just let it go on and expect God to, to take care of it? No. He brings the plot to the attention of the commander of the garrison, and in the providence of God, the garrison commander gets him safely to Caesarea. While in Caesarea, when they when the Roman governor wants to do, the new Roman governor wants to do a favor for the Jews and send him up to Jerusalem, and he knows, Paul knows, that they're going to be laying in wait for him before he even gets to Jerusalem to murder him, does he just go along with it and expect God to protect him? No. In the providence of God, there is a legal remedy for him where he says, I appeal to Caesar. Tying the governor's hands and not putting God in a box where God has to use supernatural means to keep his promise. Paul is acting in faith in each of these steps, trusting in God, but doing what he's already equipped to do instead of demanding special treatment from God because God made a promise. And that's the difference between acting in faith and presuming on God's promises. And of course, the lesson for us is to act in faith and not presume. And the fifth one is planning and trusting in the sovereignty of God. Paul had a plan. He outlines it in the, in the book of Romans. He says, I want to come to you, but I've been prevented so far. And, uh, but if God wills, then I will still. I'm going to go from here. He was in Ephesus. I'm going to go from here. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to deposit the money for the relief of the poor believers in Judea. And then I'm going to come to Rome. That was his plan. It didn't work out that way exactly. <laughs> he did get to Rome. But it wasn't according to his plan. But Paul didn't fret about that. Either before he could get there or in the way that he got there. He just surrendered his plan to the sovereignty of God. I made the plan. It's a good plan. 
it, it fulfills all my ministry objectives and it, it will be a blessing. But he doesn't insist on his plan. He turns his plan and offers it up to God and said, this is my plan. I think it's a good plan, but I'm going to do any, I'm going to do this any way that you want. And it turns out that the, from looking back, that the two years he spent in Rome under house arrest was more beneficial to the kingdom of God than the plan he had made because he wasn't going to be there two years under his plan. So, yes, God expects us to do planning. And yes, he also expects us to submit our plans to his sovereignty and be willing and uncomplaining when, if his plans supersede ours. And that is the end of our study in the book of Acts. And the next week we'll be starting a new one and looking forward to talking to you then. If you visit or live in the Phoenix, Arizona area, you are welcome to join us for the second half that is not recorded of our uh, time together here. Uh, which is questions and answers and discussion. And we welcome you to that. If you want to do that, uh, this uh, this uh, uh, Bible study starts at 9.30 a.m. at Sun City West Christian Church in Sun City West, Arizona, and we would be glad for you to visit or join us. God bless you all.